Welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha. And joining me as always, fresh from the academic circus, it's Romeo Mora. Romeo, got any special talents in the academic field? Not in the academic field. At that age, the most random thing I could have done is I could have named like all the episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Wow. Well, we're going to talk about a show featuring characters with many special talents, and that's Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm in the Middle is an American sitcom that ran for seven seasons from 2000 to 2006. The series is a dark humor family comedy that follows a dysfunctional lower middle class family and stars Frankie Muniz in the lead roles Malcolm, a child prodigy. Typical plots revolve around the family's dysfunctional relationships and inability to fit into society, with Malcolm regularly making asides to the camera to comment on their failures. The ensemble cast includes Jane Kaczmarek, Brian Cranston, Chris Christopher Kennedy Masterson, Justin Burfield, and Eric Per Sullivan. Joining us to talk about Malcolm in the Middle is nobody. I'm going to be sliding over to the guest chair. Romeo is going to be taking over the solo host duties. So with all that being said, Romeo, go ahead take it away. So was Malcolm in the Middle a show that you were watching when it first aired? Was it something that you discovered later on in life? When it first aired, let's think about when it aired. It aired during Sunday. It was paired mm-hmm. up with the other Sunday shows like The Simpsons and King of the Hill, Futurama all mixed in there to make this Sunday block that Fox was known for back in the day. I think the X-Files might have still been on Sundays at that time as well. I think so too. It was one of those shows where it was like, this is just part of my Sunday block. I mean, yeah, it it didn't take much effort for me to give shows a chance back then on Fox. I mean, maybe people still do this, but I also feel like back in our day, you know, when these new shows would come out and they put them in between two very popular shows, they did that for a specific reason. They want you to watch it. They want you to give it a chance. And I liked it. I thought it was really funny. I was pretty close to their ages. I think Malcolm started out as 12, 11 or 12, I think, when the series first started and Reese being a year older. And in 2000, I was 12, 13 years old around there. So it's like Mm -hmm. the perfect age. Another thing to note about it was that I don't come from lower middle class, but I'm definitely a product of middle class upbringing. But I had friends who were poor-ish, I guess you could say, definitely lower middle class or definitely Mm -hmm. had like the kind of dynamics that the parent had with the kid with getting in trouble doing stupid things because I mean sure I wasn't a perfect kid but I didn't get into the kind of trouble that Malcolm or Reese or Dewey would get into but I had friends who did (laughs) and those friends parents were pretty pissed off at them about it I had another friend who had brothers and you know they would beat each other up and stuff like that or like you know the pecking order of beating each other up type of thing so my friend was the youngest of three brothers and of course his two older brothers would beat up on him and stuff. So even though I didn't directly have the experiences that I was witnessing on this show, I had friends who had these experiences. So it was almost like I could relate tangentially to it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, that's what inspired me much watching the show. It just felt very grounded and real. Yeah, so I'm looking at the broadcast history. It started out as a lead in to the X-Files and eventually took over on Sunday night, like third season, which mm-hmm. I would say was the peak of the series. And then it's slowly migrated to Friday nights. They sure did do that. <laughs> where all shows go to die, unfortunately, on Death Fox. Slot, man. Graveyard Shift. Yeah, Fox was notorious for this, I feel we, like, more than any other network. 
It was in my periphery, but I was so leaning hard into my sci-fi face. Granted, it was right before DVRs, and you literally had to set up a videotape recorder. And I think I might have been watching Felicity or Charmed. I don't know. (laughs) So I knew of it. I saw clips, but I never watched it all the way through. Because for me, like the premise, for someone like me at that time, who was heavily into West Wing and trying to like be nerdy about TV, which I still am, but I didn't have the appreciation of what this was. And for me, like it was, I wouldn't say too close to home, but it was just something that just, it being so boy centric and masculine and boomerish that kind of drew me away. Yes, that's funny from what I saw, but it's just not for me. Something that I wasn't gonna dedicate my life. Yeah, I'll tune over for X-Files, but not for this. As an adult, it's freaking hilarious. The stuff they got away with. And here's the thing. You're right. You know these kids. Yeah. (laughs) They exist. They are the menace of your neighborhood. When in doubt, when you hear firecrackers going off in your neighborhood at 10, 11 o'clock at night, and it's nowhere near the 4th of July, it's those children. It's an interesting show because I think like shows before it and after it too, because it does hit home. I think there is like this Midwestern lifestyle that I think does really well on the coasts because it's something you don't normally see you hear about but you don't really see. And then, of course, it plays well in, like, the middle of America because that's what they know. They are from these small towns where everyone knows everybody's business. Mm-hmm. So I will say that the pilot is... What surprised me the most about the pilot was that we were basically getting two shows in the one, basically, because you had the mm-hmm. family home. You have right. Malcolm with his family. And then you learn about Francis, who's at military school. And that is its own separate story, really. Christopher Masterson has to do a lot of heavy lifting on his own. He's basically doing part-time of his own show, which I thought was an interesting approach. The other thing that was really notable about this, I was thinking about this growing up, and I think this was the first show, the first comedy I ever watched that didn't have a laugh track. Or wasn't filmed before a live studio audience either. Yes, yes. And at the time, like shows like that have existed. Leave it to Beaver, plenty of shows over time, Andy Griffith show, MASH, plenty of comedies didn't have a live studio audience laugh track. But it wasn't a popular thing. It was a very, very, very unusual and risky thing to do something like this, to have Malcolm in the middle in the year 2000 to come out and not only do this, but commit to this and pull this off and have success. And because of that, having the legacy of starting a trend in the 2000s of other shows without laugh tracks and such, which is uh, it's very interesting. It's very cool. And um, it didn't really cross my mind thinking about it at the time. It's like I didn't really think about like, oh, hey, this show doesn't have a laugh track. I, that was really a thing. I think it was more enthralled by the fourth wall. Malcolm mm-hmm. talking to the audience was also something that was I was very unfamiliar with. And so that was like, wow, this is such a unique and great way to like get to know the character and get inside his head. And- but if you watch the real world like I did religiously at the time, <laughs> but you're right, it was weird to have a confessional during that thing from a character breaking that fourth wall, which if you're from like the theater world, those asides are done all the time or you would have voiceovers. But that whole looking was in a sense revolutionary. And a Along with that, well, you're right, because it was one of the first shows 
that didn't have a laugh track. At least I can remember. But yeah, Fox especially decided to have a few shows without laugh tracks and live audiences, I think because of the success of Malcolm in the Middle. So it, yeah, it's just, it has a really strong legacy for that reason. The only other criticism I can really give the pilot, and we've talked about it with other shows, of course, even some of our favorite shows. The pilot doesn't give an overall great impression of what the show is actually going to be. Like Hal in the pilot is nothing what he eventually evolves to later on in the show. I feel like everyone evolved except for Malcolm. Not to get too far ahead, it goes to what Lois says in the finale, that he needs to suffer. Because so far, he really hadn't had to work. In order for him to be a good person, he has to work twice as hard so he can care about people like him and make their lives better. Oh, sure. Yeah. And Hal is just like your run of the mill Midwestern dad who is like kind of half paying attention to everything happening around him and like dead end job and just accidental gets indicted. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely the fall guy. You need a fall guy. And he's definitely dumb enough to be that guy. And then but Lois, Lois also comes off a bit too strong. Like she's running around topless in the house and then she answers the door topless. And then she's like yelling at Malcolm's future teacher. It's just like, dude, because she doesn't really act like that. Like, obviously, she still has that attitude, but she's not like that for the rest of the series. It gives off the wrong impression of who Lois really is throughout and, the rest and like, of the series. And, and like that's the weird thing about a pilot, especially for comedies. I would point back to a similar show that also has which is Big Bang Theory. Sheldon makes sex jokes like he's had sex before. (laughs) And then Penny is much smarter than she appears to be. But you're selling a pilot. You're selling like, are these characters likable? Are these characters funny? And you're setting up this thing. And of course, it's Malcolm's point of view. And Malcolm's point of view is, I would say he's not a reliable narrator because he's a kid. Because in his mind, of course, his mother's walking around topless. She does not have anything together. Not only that, I mean, he is, he's so self-absorbed that yeah. everything is coming from his perspective. Most everything is coming from his perspective when he's talking to the audience. But it- you know, audience is supposed to be smart enough to know that Malcolm is the one who is causing all the problems. Clearly, you were impressed by the pilot. Was at the point where you were like, okay, I'm in it from the long haul? Or did it still take you a couple of episodes? For you to say that, okay, now I'm in. It takes a little bit longer, I would say. I mean, this is a mid-season replacement, season one. People forget, 16 episodes. I think what really helps about the show is like how I talked about how we have like two different stories going on. How we have the family back home and then we have Francis at military school. Both sides need to work in order for you to be interested in wanting to come back every week, I feel like. Mm -hmm. If one side of the story isn't working, then I don't think you're going to really be committing to it every week because we spend so much time with Francis throughout the first five seasons. I think what really sold me is that when Francis comes home and then you come to learn like military school is not really working on him. He still comes back home and wants to pull off like some epic pranks. You know, he uh, makes that slingshot where they go on the rooftop and just start like harassing their neighbors by shooting all these things at them like vile things. Dude, don't mess with the nerds that know (laughs) Gio. I know, right? <laughs> because the arc on that stuff to break their slingshot first and then trap them on the roof. Yeah. 
genius. It was great. So just learning, like seeing how Francis can work on both sides of the story was really great. I love the military school stuff because I just love Commandant Spangler. He is such a great foil for Francis and how Spangler just in one way can't stand Francis, but in another way, just like really appreciates how much Francis challenges him because it like gives him a whole new love for his job and coming up with new ways to punish his cadets. <laughs> it just like inspires hanging. him. Yeah, it absolutely inspires him, which is really, really funny. And plus, you get to see how Francis is kind of a bit of a leader, right? I mean, he is able to push back on what he thinks is wrong and stand up for the little person. He does have some of those elements. I mean, let's face it. He's got mommy issues. Absolutely. And I think that's what's so funny about the show at first is like you get to see how you're thinking at first where it's like, yeah, how can mom do that? How can mom send him to military school? But at the same time, when you learn about Francis, you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's horrible. And then on top of that, you learn about, oh, my gosh, he has some serious mommy issues that he's not working out. <laughs> and he's uh-huh. just obsessively talking about his mom all the time and like turning around and making it her fault on everything, which made for great comedy. And then with Malcolm joining the Krellboyne class is really fun because you get Stevie, who is a very unique character on his own. Like you've never seen a character like Stevie on television before. Bound to a wheelchair. He is a slow talker and he is wicked smart like Malcolm, but not smarter than Malcolm. And I like how the show established that Malcolm isn't just smart. He's like way smarter than the smartest kids in school. He's a freak among freaks, but he doesn't want to be the freak among freaks. He wants to be normal like everybody else. And that's made more evident more than ever in the Krellboyne picnic episode, because here you have Malcolm who is just trying to get out of wanting to show his talents. And what is his talents? You can give him any two numbers and he'll be able to multiply it within seconds. And he thinks that if he demonstrates his talent to everybody, especially in front of his family, that his family is going to think that he's like a weird kid, that he's a freak. But the aftermath of that, what do they do? They're poking fun of him in the car. <laughs> you know, you got, I think it was Francis who was like, hey, Malcolm, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> you know, just like they're all making fun of him. And they're having a good time, you know, because it's like it's not a big deal. You know, they know what he is. They've known for years that he's a smart kid. It is kind of nice to see that in a way, you know, this family, no matter what, this family is going to through thick and thin stick together, even though it feels like Lois pushed Francis away. If Lois could have been worse to Francis, she really could have. She could have been like, no, you're not coming home to visit. I don't want you here. No, you're not coming home for Christmas. You're not coming home for Thanksgiving. None of that. Of course, she always had him come back for all of the holidays for special visits. She always made sure that he came back because in the end, of course, she loves her son. So there was all these parts there that I thought that were really nice. And then you get towards the end of the season where you really start to see how absolutely crazy Hal is and how absolutely <laughs> obsessed he can get with things. Like the roller skates episode is so funny. The roller skates episode is like the first time where you see like Francis and Reese who are both like, they don't want to talk about the experience. They, they, they say it was like bizarre and traumatizing, but they just got to get through it. And after that, they get to skate as much as they want. Like, that's how experienced that any millennial like has in terms <laughs> of learning how to ride a bike, uh-huh. driving. Yeah, honestly, like I have flashbacks. Oh, and the bots and the bees, the following episode where the Krellboins, when they made their own battle bot and then Hal gets really into it and obsessed with it and then he incorporates bees. So by or the end bowling. of the episode, he's covered in bees. Seeing how silly the show was willing to get really sold me. And yeah, that's when I knew I was in it for the long haul. And I stayed with it. They kept moving it around. They kept putting it certain 
certain episodes on Wednesdays or a Friday. You know, it was a bit of a mess how they tried to squeeze in all 22 of these episodes every season. All right. So let's get into some of the characters. Shall we start with Malcolm? When we first start with the show, Malcolm, he has an IQ of 165. The creator of the show, Linwood Boomer, states that he kind of based his character around him a little bit growing up, although he says that he was not nearly as smart as Malcolm. You can really relate to him just as like a normal kid, right? You can't really relate to him as like the genius that he is, but just like normal kid stuff, you can totally relate to it. And you can also understand how he gets himself into trouble. He just can't help himself. I think when we're all kids and we all like do stupid things, it's because we really, we just can't help ourselves. Sometimes Malcolm's not smart enough to see how he's getting himself into a situation that is going to get him in trouble. I think the other thing that's worth noting about Malcolm is that, and you mentioned it earlier, he has to Mm -hmm. feel like he has to work twice as hard as everyone else, right? He's not doing it because not just because of his financial situation. He's doing it because he is so self-absorbed and he has such a huge ego of himself that he has to prove to people how smart he is. Which is (laughs) contradictive to saying that he doesn't want anyone to know how smart he is. As he gets older, it gets worse, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. He gets into high school and he realizes like nobody likes him. And why does nobody like him? Because he's snarky. He's sarcastic. He's this smart ass, right? He's all these qualities that no one likes. And he has to prove how smart he is, not just to the Krellboins. Actually, you know what? Not thinking about it. And to the Krellboins, he doesn't really try to prove how smart he is to them. They just it's accept everyone them. Else. And he still takes advantage of their friendship. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> Yeah. So around the Krellboins, he's like, it it just is what it is because he's around his close to his equals as possible. So he just doesn't want to get involved in like their weird stuff, right? Like their nerd stuff or like he realizes like they're even more screwed up than he is in some ways. Right. When he sleeps over at Stevie's house for the first time and Stevie's parents are so overprotective that it's like it pains Malcolm to a point where it's like we got to sneak out of the house. We got to go do something fun. You step off the foot of the bed and an alarm goes off and his parents parents storm in to check to see if everything's okay. They go to bed at 6.30 p.m. It's just like, what? And this is the truth of a lot of things. I think a lot of people think like smart kids are going to do just fine because they're smart. You know, they're going to outgrow all the bullying and the teasing and the hassling that they'll get as they grow up. Uh, And then when they get to adulthood, that they'll be just fine. When it's like, oh, that's not exactly true, though. Like Malcolm is kind of a good case where it's like, because of how he is, because of how he acts, things are always going to be really tough on him. <laughs> there is so much generational trauma that you can see as an adult that is happening because clearly, one, I I don't believe that Malcolm became president. Maybe like, like a congressman at the state level if he goes into politics, which is something that I just don't see him doing. Something like, we learn about Malcolm throughout the show is that he's not very manipulative, right? He's not like Dewey in that way and he's not like Lois in that way either. He gets duped a lot throughout the series. There are characters like Jessica, for example, played by Hayden Panettiere. She is deeply manipulative. She tricks Malcolm all the time. When you need to be a politician, it's like, yeah, you need to be someone who knows how to cut deals, but you also need to be somebody who knows how to talk to people, who knows how to manipulate people, who knows how to get what they want.
wants. Malcolm's not that guy. <laughs> and I think <laughs> so. That's cute. why he, I think he would struggle to be president or attempt to be president or in politics. Like I said, mm-hmm. like maybe city council. Even then, it gets dirty. I think he's also too jaded because I think he is the right mixture of book smart and street smart. Because I think unlike all of his other siblings, he can see the consequences of his actions. Mm-hmm. However, he just doesn't care about those consequences. Clearly with the billboard, we're genius, by the way. It's a protest. As far as on-the-spot thinking goes, that was really good. (laughs) So... I can see him as a lawyer. He would be a lawyer, probably end up on the Supreme Court. I would argue that. <laughs> but I'm also thinking too, like something drawn back to you, like, yeah, I think he didn't grow. Like, I do see that he did, in a sense, sort of got a little bit more selfish. And I struggle with this. I don't know if he's a likable character towards the end. Do you agree with that sentiment? I think he's still a likable character. I mean, he's been doing these shenanigans for seasons. So you're just kind of like, this is who the character is. And you're, I mean, if you've been watching this far, then I mean, obviously you do like the parts of the show. But if you're thinking of him as, could he be a likable person in real life? Has he grown enough in that to be that? Hell no, man. (laughs) Absolutely not. Because (laughs) I would argue that his siblings, except for Reese, there's no saving Reese, I don't think. Well, we'll we'll get into that. But but yeah, yeah. yeah. But I feel like all of the brothers sort of grew Mm -hmm. in a sense. Reese, he got a job. He moved out. Apparently a culinary prodigy. (laughs) Thanksgiving episode is freaking amazing. Francis is married and has an actual job, even though he's lying to Lois to get power over her. And Dewey, musical prodigy. Like, are they all secretly geniuses? I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know about secretly geniuses, I guess. But they're all definitely smart or at least have natural talents in something. Actually, except right. for Francis, he's not really naturally talented at anything. Even his leadership skills, he falls I victim l- to his leadership skills. Which I love the joke is, I'm going to call the smartest person in our family, and it's Francis. Because he's the oldest brother, right? They all look up to him. Even Malcolm well, looks up to him. Because they're like, he knows how to deal with mom. Exactly. Because Hal is just so, as you said, like absent-minded yeah. that it's up to her to actually do everything. But to be fair, that's what this family is. There may not be like self-reliant, but they're obedient. (laughs) But, you know, to really like think about Malcolm and going back to could he be a president? I think the best thing that would work in his favor is if he had a team around him, a great team around him that can build him up and make him be a viable presidential candidate. That would be the thing. But then it also goes back to how self-destructive he can be on himself. Like, you know, he's going to say something wrong and then try to fix it and make it worse. Then blame everyone else. <laughs> that is their fault. <laughs> you know, it's like, because that's, well, that's just who he is. Because you know? here, here's the thing. If he somehow stumbles into the presidency. I don't see him like Bartlett on the West Wing. Mm-hmm. I see him like Selena Myers on Veep. And you know his approval rating would drive him crazy. He would obsess oh, over it. One more thing I want to talk about Malcolm and it kind of it's a good segue to get into Lois with that. What do you think about Lois turning down the job offer Malcolm received in the series finale? I think for she's him? right. She's right because it goes back to what she says is she sees the path he's on. She sees how condescending, how 
And considering he is to other people, he's on the road to being Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. And she's like, if he's going to make a difference, he needs to remember who he is and where he comes from. And the fact that she said that I purposely made your life hard so you remember where you came from so you can help people like us because you're the only person that could ever give a damn about people like us and make it better for people like us. And I kind of agree with her. And again, I point to like Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk who are self-proclaimed self-billionaires when in reality, like some of them came from money and then telling this story of how they came from nothing and they're trying to make people better. And all reality is like, no, you're not. You're not connecting people. You're not making the world better. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just came out a couple of days ago that the whole point of SpaceX is to go to Mars, mine for oil and bring it back to Earth. I think for someone like Malcolm, he can fall into the pit traps of that early Silicon Valley lifestyle where he loses himself in the sauce, thinking that he's better than everyone, which he's already on the road to. Mm -hmm. And clearly Lewis sees that. And if you look at how Lewis raised or tried to raise Malcolm is how to be a functional human being, how to care for others. Granted, Lewis is basically Atlas with the damn boulder going uphill for eternity with these boys. Yeah. Because no matter what she does, nothing seems to work, but which is not on her. She's doing the best she can with Hal. <laughs> As an example, it all makes sense. There are parents out there who have this path for their kids and they hope that those kids stay on that path and that you try to get them to the right direction. And, and you know, Malcolm also accepts all of this by the end of the episode. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see him at Harvard. What do you think about the final shot of Malcolm in a janitor's uniform? Do you that's, think that's good? I don't I, mean, I don't know if I like that choice. I didn't like that choice either. I honestly think it would have been. Oh, I like the reverse where if he was actually working in the like at the cafeteria. Okay. I think that would have been funnier because you see the Jack position because in a way it sort of seemed like he's kind of close to his brother Reese who's who's really gifted in culinary arts and I thought that would be a nice little thing or hanging out on the dorms. I do like the kitchen idea. They could have had Reese giving him like cooking tips over the phone. You know that could have been a really good finish. Which would have been funny and nice and then like the last joke of the show would have been Reese saying and they said he was the genius but yeah that's shot mm, not my favorite unless it's good to lewis because we sort of segued into her and her decision of mm -hmm. turning down that job for him how do you stack lewis among all the other tv moms she's one of the goats right i think it's hard to argue against that she has it all man i mean well, i shouldn't say she has it all in a sense but she's very strong willed she's very caring for how but she also knows when to like knock some sense into him She's not afraid to punish her kids. She's not afraid. I mean, really, she's not afraid of anything. There are times where she takes it too far. Uh, there was this one episode towards the end of the series where Dewey is supposed to compete in a piano competition or something in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And they're at the airport and she walks through the uh, metal detector and it goes off. And she's like, oh, it's the wire in my bra, you know. And so you get the TSA guy who's scanning her chest and then it sets it off again. And then another TSA who comes up and is like, yeah, we need to we need to examine you. You 
you to like lift your shirt and she wouldn't do it. <laughs> and it causes them to miss their flight and they have to, you know, book another flight. And this, you know, of course, makes Dewey livid because all he wants is just let's just get on the plane. Like, please don't make a scene. Let's just get on the plane. All Lois had to do was just like suck it up and just get through it. But she can't help it. She's Lois. She takes it too far. There's another one earlier in the series called Traffic Jam, where she's literally trying to make construction workers work faster <laughs> so that the traffic could go. And they're just like, uh, you're not in charge here, lady. Look, just because you think you can just yell at your kids or whatever and that you can be the boss and get your way, that doesn't mean that you can just tell us to do that. It's like, yeah, sometimes she doesn't understand that there are just things that are out of her control. And she's lost control of Francis when he forges emancipation. When Francis forges emancipation, he's off doing his own thing and Lois has less control over him. He still goes to her for help sometimes, but in the end, it's like she can't control him like he used to and that drives her crazy. And we also see it at Lucky 8 sometimes where things just like aren't in her control. But you know, how many moms have we seen like that? Not not only when we were kids, but into our adulthood, how many moms have we seen who think they can just like bully people into getting what they want? Lois is an interesting character because I think she's one of the best moms ever, but I also think that if you try to write a mom like this today, people would definitely now, not like her as a character, right? I go back to, I think it's like in the first season, The Red Dress, where someone burns the stress that she just loves as she was planning to wear in her anniversary and she found it in the toilet bowl and she punishes the boys totally leaving Hal at the restaurant and she's going over and over different tactics of course they're calling Francis for help <laughs> Francis and everyone at the academy is like telling them what to do and the defiance of them where they both all state we didn't do it which at that point you'd be like okay I'll let it go but then at the very end when she's defeated and she just says I just really like that dress it was like the one thing she was looking forward to because you realize that there's one of the few moments that Lois wants something for herself right right because in every yeah. episode she's bending over backwards to do something for everyone else in the family and it was those one little thing that she wanted or like her birthday where she tells the kids here's $30 total you'll have $10 buy me anything you, you want I will love it horrible mistake with these brats even <laughs> Hal forgets and she's at the batting cages at the end of the episode and they all beat up clowns <laughs> for Lois such a great moment right I kind of feel bad for her in a sense of where she always has to put her own feelings aside and always has to cave I think if this show was written today I think they wouldn't continually be making the same mistakes and Lois has to put aside her own feelings. I think she would win occasionally because it always seems like there's this combative nature with everyone with Lois, like the traffic ticket violation episode. Oh man, what a great episode, right? She was right. But she didn't know how she was right. She just knew it in her heart that she was right. She was right. And they all yeah. gaslit her <laughs> into thinking she was wrong. And then they made her feel horrible. But, you know, you have to remember she she is wrong, but she thinks she's right. She, mm -hmm. she thinks she's right 
even though she's wrong sometimes. And so they needed that win. They needed her to be humbled just for a moment. They needed her to be humbled <laughs> to kind of like at least try to balance the scales a little bit from all the times where she said she was right. But even though she was wrong, but it, it was just a hilarious moment because, you know, Craig comes in, he's got the tape and they watch it and they just smash it into pieces and they threaten Craig's life. Basically, <laughs> it's, it's a great moment. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, she definitely does a lot of sacrificing for the kids and they don't make it easy for her. That's for sure. She does try to be very controlling. It's very true. She's controlling throughout the entire series. She tries to control Malcolm and Reese. With Dewey, she controls, but she also kind of sees that Dewey's a little bit lower maintenance, I guess, in comparison, right? What was the joke? Like, he's going to end up being rich, right? He's going to, he has a path into just being rich. (laughs) So things are just going to work out for him. But because she's so, so controlling, it's just like if she wasn't as controlling as she was, some of them would be in jail or some of them would be dead. She's really trying to just like wrangle in cattle to get loose every day, you know? <laughs> right. So it's a hard job. And you think there would be more efforts to make sure they don't have any more kids. But as we come to find out, those efforts are uh, very much absent. Hal does not get the vasectomy. They end up getting Jamie. And then as we come to find out in the series finale, she's pregnant again. And we're just like, oh, man, really? Because by this point, you know, they're in their four. 40s, they got three kids out of the house and two more to go. And like you get pregnant again. It's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this all over again. It felt tacked on. Right. It's like they didn't need to do that. But they need it for the revival. Oh, right. Sure. In the end. Yeah, I think she's a great character. I think she's got a lot of great energy. Her screaming, you know, her. Oh, my gosh. Or, or for God's sakes, you know, like just like she's like a lot of great Midwestern attitude. You know, we come to find out that she seems to be of Croatian descent. I guess her mom is from Croatia, her mom and dad. That's what I was able to gather. That's the only like ancestry that we know from either of Hal and Lois. So just thought that was interesting tidbit. They don't do a whole lot with it, but they have a couple episodes involving ancestry. But yeah, I mean, we come to find out that she came from a very tough family upbringing. We find out that her dad actually had a second family, was married to Betty White. And we also come to learn that her dad is not actually her dad, but we learn her sister actually used to date Hal for a period of time and Lois basically stole Hal from her sister (laughs) which is horrible but uh, another uh, ongoing thread throughout the series is her sexual prowess with her and Hal like they're such sex fiends with each other there's little things that trigger them that they gotta 14 times a week yeah 14 times a week kick the kids out when they got to I mean there's one episode where Hal literally gives Dewey his wallet (laughs) and kicks him out of the house so that they can have sex (laughs) sweet baby Jesus it's just out of control it's absolutely out of control Hal does everything he can to be so giving and loving to Lois that you can't help appreciate it but he's also so deeply selfish and such a coward it is just unreal so it's kind of funny because if there's any characters that I feel somewhat related to it's Hal and Malcolm Malcolm because of his attitude can be a little bit off-putting sometimes I can be that way too I can be sarcastic I can be snarky I could be the fun killer. Yeah, this just is what it is. It's who I am. But Hal, Hal's ability to be like hiding things, getting out of situations, being an overall coward sometimes. I'll admit it. I'm a bit that way. I, I have my little secrets. But Hal, man, Hal really takes it to another level, right? So w- what are your impressions of Hal? He's like your typical sitcom dad. Like he's the kid's best friends and leaves all the hard work to Lois. Because that's the like, deal they made, right? She makes all the decisions. 
<laughs> I know, but still, at some point, not to say that he doesn't discipline his children when he needs to, like, or at least tries to. And even then he fails at that because when they lock him into that bunker, which I'm sorry. <laughs> How did they not discover that bunker before season? Was it season seven? Yeah, it was season seven. Even then, like, he's like, oh, a secret bunker. I don't have to do my job as a parent. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, another thing funny about Hal is like how we talked about earlier when we find out he gets indicted at his company and they have this timeline of all the illegal things that he's done. And thanks to Malcolm, Malcolm figures out that all of those days land on a Friday. And what did we learn? Hal hasn't gone to work on a a Friday Friday in 15 uh, years. And I love the end of that episode. Lois isn't thrilled that her husband's going to jail. Which, by the way, he spent like most of that episode in a fantasy world making arts and crafts of little like carton pigs, uh, which I loved. (laughs) That was great. And she goes, for 15 years, you haven't been working on Fridays. That's her takeaway. And I love that for her. It's a good reaction, right? I mean, if I got in trouble and then it was discovered that, oh, because I haven't gone to work on that day in like some time for that to come out. Like, how embarrassing well, is no, that? Like, because, I would be in a huge trouble. Here's your thought process I could have had Fridays off. <laughs> <laughs> Except he's gotten go kart racing. I think that's one of the things he's gone to movies. He was like a uh, he wasn't with Shamu. He was with a different whale, right? That's like right. serving as like an assistant trainer. <laughs> but he did most of the work though. But he did most of the work though. Yeah, he was basically like middle aged Ferris Bueller. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right about that. It fits so well with that character because it's like, of course he would do that. Of course he would do that. This is a guy who's just like so burnt out from his job. And he's definitely a product of even what millennials are experiencing now, that burnout feeling and that feeling of unaccomplished and ungratefulness that we receive from our employers sometimes, you know, where they try to solve it with a pizza party or something like that. But, you know, it's, it's just like he's definitely an example of, of that. I'm not saying that I experience that now, but I'm saying saying that I have experienced that before. I think we've all experienced that before to the point where it's like sometimes you just want a day off because you just don't want to go to work and they don't miss you either, right? You know, you, you take the day off, they can function just fine without you. And not only that, I mean, they can replace you on a whim too. He, he just wants to enjoy life. The hobbies that he picks up, you know, throughout the series, he, he, he you're right about that. He's, he's very much like your sitcom dad. He's very Homer Simpson. He's very Peggy Hill because Peggy Hill also had a lot of different jobs on King of the Hill. He's definitely that type. That's the character they use on this show to do those sorts of things. The speed walking was really funny. Teaching all the bodybuilders how to like just balance a checkbook and do other simple things. Going to like baby classes with Jamie and then using him for like games and so they can bet with all the other dads and stuff. It's just like, oh, and like he has cigarettes hidden throughout the entire house because he used to smoke and Lois made him quit. He's not allowed to ride motorcycles. There's just so many things about him. He's a complete crazy person, man. He's a lot of fun. So I would say Hal was my favorite character throughout the series. He's just a lot of fun. He's so goofy. Can't help but love him. I mean, you really see how Hal was able, how Brian Cranston was able to use Hal and translate that performance and carry it over to Breaking Bad. It just really goes to show you how amazing of an actor Brian Cranston is. And he actually directed some episodes too. So that was pretty cool. Let's move on to the other siblings. Who do you want to start with? You want to start oldest to youngest? Or is there a sibling that you want to start with? Uh, I'll start with the ones that I can breeze through pretty quickly. So let's start with Reese. He is a complete sociopath and everyone knows it too. Everyone knows he's an absolute sociopath. Even Um, in birth. (laughs) 
Even in birth, yeah. Even in birth, while Lois was pregnant with him, she's like, I think he's biting my kidney. <laughs> and the fact is she forced him out. That's my favorite scene ever in the series. There's this really great episode where Lois and Hal are at their wit's end with him. And so what do they do? They put him in a cooking class and they discover that he's actually quite good at cooking. And so there's this cooking competition in the class. And you would think Reese is a shoe in He's going to win this. But what does he do? He cheats anyways. That's when Hal discovers and he tells Lois, it's like, this guy has no compassion. He is totally empty of having any sort of empathy for humankind. <laughs> right. And it's almost like coming up with that discovery makes it easier into like understanding Reese better. <laughs> like it's going to be easier to parent him after that or something. I just thought that was really funny. And and, and it, yeah, it just makes you learn a little bit more about the character in that moment. It's like he never stops being a bully. Even when he has to repeat his senior year again, he's still a bully. <laughs> like He just never, never stops. The only thing I will say that I'm disappointed we didn't get any time with Reese on is we knew that he worked at a butcher shop for a little while. Mm -hmm. We never saw that. Yeah, and I get it. Whole different set. Then you have to pay more actors and, and all that. So I understand budget wise how it wasn't going to work. But I still would have liked to have seen some episodes here and there where we get to see him in that work environment. But hey, though, okay. I think it would have cut you close to the whole. Oh, he's a sister. He enjoys cutting up animals. Like right. this is Malcolm in the Middle, not Dexter. Yeah, that's true. Overall, I mean, there are moments where you kind of feel a little bad for him because he seems to hate himself sometimes. There are parts where you come to learn like he does hate how not smart he is. And you feel sympathy a little bit for him when you see how much he struggles just to understand the simplest things. And But you never feel but, sorry for him when Dewey is taking advantage of him, <laughs> you know, because no, no. he, he's but, totally Dewey his whole life. But he's able to pick up on certain manual skills quickly, like the whole yeah. speed chase. Yeah, how yeah. He managed <laughs> to go through the obstacle course perfectly impressing the cops which I thought was hilarious <laughs> drives by the deer and gives a little little tap on the on the head there <laughs> That's true. If you can find the right things for him to focus on, he definitely excels at them, right? Because uh -huh. there are people like that when we were growing up, those people who are like just total morons. But for some reason, they just, they're just they just good at certain things. Your working class jobs that they just know how to do and figure out and do extremely well and end up making more money than you is, even though you went to college and everything. But that's beside the point. We don't talk about that. We don't David. talk about that. <laughs> By the end of the series, Reese moves out. He's living with Craig and we see Craig open a present and Craig is like, oh, you listened, you know, and that that little line right there just kind of goes to show you that Reese is evolving, right? He is starting right. to consider other people's feelings. He is thinking about other people. And, and so you do have some hope for him. And he does have a union job now where he right. very much looks forward to working for the next 30 years as a high school janitor. And I'm not going to judge him for that. And it's simple. <laughs> he gets to I'll, like mess with chemicals and, and clean mm -hmm. messes. Like he, he's excited by that, all that process. Which he's so. an expert on growing <laughs> up. <laughs> right. But even at his lowest point, Lois tries to help him, right? Like when that prank happens with the pig in the episode, Lois Strikes Back, where she um, gets back at all the high school girls that conduct 
conducted the prank. That was and then, so good. Yeah, and then there's the episode where Ida comes by when Reese and Malcolm are going to be home for the weekend, and she forces them into a competition where if Reese wins the competition, he gets to marry Ida's basically slave, <laughs> Raduka. Reese is like trying really hard because he wants to win the competition and marry her and be a husband because he's like he knows that it's so hard for him to get a girlfriend in general. And but Malcolm's trying really hard to beat him because he keeps saying like Reese, I don't want you to ruin your life. I don't want you to marry at 18. Are you crazy? Are you an idiot? So his family in the end does care about him, does try to look out for him, does try to save him, even though he is just such an unbelievably horrible person sometimes. But Not just to his family, great, but just to society. <laughs> but a great soldier. But a great soldier. <laughs> And then so the other brother, Dewey, I liked what they did with him, even though they gave him more things to do in the final two seasons because Christopher Masterson kind of took a backseat so he can focus more on like the writing and directing side of the show. It's not as compelling as Francis, but I like that they at least tried to develop his character a little more. I do think it's cool that they didn't make him a genius per se, but they said that he's more of a music savant, which I like the angle of because two geniuses is boring, right? Like you don't want him to be like as smart as Malcolm or something like that. That would be stupid. But I do like how very Machiavellian he is in terms of getting back at his brothers and also his parents. He also just like fights for some common decency as well. When he shows up at the ranch, Francis, where he's just like, I just need someone to be like nice to me for a day. That's all I'm asking. Um, My favorite one of his pranks was when he was going to help Reese ship himself to China. Yeah, <laughs> and he's there just like rocking the crate like he's in the airplane with the fan running like yeah yeah and lois catches him he's like does he have food yep okay you're good and why because it keeps reese out of trouble she knows where he is so it's like it perfectly works out for her but yeah it's like we never saw dewey at school until those last two seasons then we see him with his new friends at the what do they call them they call them the busies right because they're just like dysfunctional kids and they just got to keep them busy so that they don't mm-hmm. act weird or harm people or something like that did you uh notice one cameron monahan as that red-headed freckled kid yeah <laughs> And Jenny McCurdy also makes Uh an appearance in an episode or two, which is funny because she appeared earlier in the series as the female counterpart to Dewey in the episode If Boys Were Girls. Oh, yeah. That was was her. So it's kind of cool just to see her uh, make a couple appearances. God, that episode was hilarious. That episode was great. And that just goes to show you that Lois, she can say that she can imagine what life would be like with girls. But with girls, girls have their own issues, too. Just because they're girls doesn't mean they're going to be better than boys, right? Mm -hmm. Overall, at come series end, we just know that Dewey is still going to be doing pranks and stuff. He's just doing it with Jamie now. But he's going to treat Jamie a whole lot more kinder than his brothers ever treated him. That's the thing about Dewey, right? He's able to see how his actions affects other people. Mm -hmm. And he's able to see how the torment he went through, that he's just not going to pass it on. you know. And I think that's huge, right? Because as we come to find out, Jamie's going to have a little brother or sister. He's not going to bully him because he wasn't bullied by Dewey. Why would he do that? And he was too young to remember what life was like with Malcolm and Reese in the house. And then finally, we have Francis. I like Francis. Like I was mentioning earlier, I did like how we follow him throughout the series. Francis has a lot, a lot of likable qualities. I can see myself and Francis a little bit. The talking back, the trying to make sense of everything, the looking out for the little people and stuff, but also being deeply selfish as well. I can be a little selfish too and I can see that, but I can 
can have zero mommy issues in comparison to Francis. Like, holy moly. How many relationships has he ruined because of that? Even Commodore Spangler was like, geez, Louise, you have some serious mommy issues. <laughs> but if there's one criticism I have about the show is that I'm really disappointed that we got to see so little of him in the final two seasons. Huh. And the times that we saw him was a regression of the character. I really like the ranch stuff. I really liked Otto a lot. I like that Otto was like this father figure to him and he treated Francis with so much kindness and he believed in him and it was like this whole nurturing aspect of raising him that Francis really responded to. And for them to throw that away with an off-screen thing of saying like, I've been depositing checks into something that I thought was an ATM but it wasn't. Otto fired me and now he's suing me. It's just kind of like, none of this checks out character-wise. Not just for Francis but for Otto too. You built all this up and you decided to just take it away and then you don't even replace it with anything. It's just very strange. It was a way to reduce his character and it doesn't make sense because he might not be like book smart but he's street smart and he would know what a real ATM machine looks like. And plus, again, overthinking this, you make those large deposits inside the bank in a rural area. I don't think they have like overnight ATM deposits with the large amount of money he's bringing in. Even a small town, I wouldn't feel safe doing multiple bills and checks. At an ATM machine? In no way, right? It's really disappointing that they approached it that way. But I do like how the series ended with him, that he has like this desk job where he's just entering numbers all day. And like he's totally happy about it, even though it's like something that Hal would probably loathe. But Francis is able to embrace it and appreciate it because he's been through so much. He felt like he was abandoned when he got sent to military school. Uh And then he dropped out of high school or no. Then he went to Alaska thinking that there was a lumbering job waiting for him. But that's not what ended up it being. The whole town basically gets sold off. And then he and Piyama are homeless, right? They're just driving around the country trying to figure it out. And then he is able to land that job with Otto. And then he gets fired from that job. And then he struggles again, right? He struggles to find a permanent job. By that point, I think he just wants it to all be simple. Just give me the nine to five. I'm fine with that. So for him to enter a job where things were easy, full time benefits. Yeah. I can totally understand why you're not hearing a single complaint from him from now on. Now, in terms of keeping it from Lois, (laughs) that's petty as hell. (laughs) But, but, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the character. He's never going to escape those mommy issues. Not once. Is there any secondary characters you briefly want to touch on? I really like the Krellboins. I thought they were really funny and I wish we got to see more of them. That's the biggest issue with the show, right? Is that these characters really come in and out and they just like disappear without any like real send off. I really like Stevie, but we got to see a little less of him as the series went on. Cynthia, she was the girl Krellboin. There was this really, I thought it was a really charming episode where like she obviously has a crush on Malcolm and she's very like forward about it and stuff. But Malcolm is like, you know, he's a 12 year old. He's like, he doesn't know how to like understand these feelings that he's having about like having a crush on a girl or like how to handle it or react to it. (laughs) It's just kind of funny because I know some people could say like episodes like that don't age well, but don't you remember what it was like to be 12 years old and having these complicated feelings and not being able to understand how to express it and stuff. I remember being in middle school. This girl had a crush on me. She was very forward about it, but I didn't want anything to do with her. This is a very awkward feeling. 
feelings, you know? It's just kind of like, you know, how do you tell a girl who has a crush on you, like, hey, stay away from me? Not an easy thing to navigate. Or when you have a crush on a girl and you try to, like, demonstrate it, but you don't know how to demonstrate it well, as we see often in this series as well, because, you know, these are just kids. And this is something we have to remember. These are kids who don't know how to, like, handle, express their feelings. They're really bad at it. And most kids don't know how to do that well. So Dabney and Lloyd, even though both characters felt a little interchangeable, I still thought were really, really funny. Dabney was the one with the mommy. He's like being smothered by his mom. Yeah, with the paintball episode, which was really hilarious. And yeah, and Lloyd was just really funny as well, just being neurotic in his own way. And then the teachers, you have Caroline Miller, who is the teacher we were introduced with in the first couple seasons. And then you have the absolutely despicable Lionel Herkaby, who is just constantly tormenting Malcolm throughout the series. And you, you almost appreciate how like shameless he is. The final time we see him is in the episode where he's trying to maintain that he had the best GPA ever at North High. Malcolm is on track to beat that record. So he basically blackmails Malcolm into phoning it in just enough so that Herkaby can maintain having that record. But he also tells Malcolm that he didn't actually fulfill his physical education in high school because he made up an AP class. <laughs> so he can take that instead to only increase his GPA. Malcolm revealed that information and got Herkaby's record revoked. Such an asshole, man. But you also appreciate how self-aware he is of being an asshole. I mean, what about you? Is there any uh, supporting characters that jumped out to you? The only one is House Family, the family reunion episode. Because, of course, how do you not recognize Christopher Lloyd? Of course, he's House Father. And, of course, Brenda Strong <laughs> as his sister. Oh, uh, their um, passive aggressiveness towards Lois oh, in that God. entire episode, right? That... And once again, what do the sons do? You know, they step up to the plate and they defend their mom's honor. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't talked about this character and I have mixed feelings about this character of Craig. I see a little Craig in you. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> I said a little Craig. All right. Just a little Craig. <laughs> no, I resent that. Maybe it's just the size and glasses that like <laughs> make Rude. me the love for comic books and <laughs> Man. I am not creepy. <laughs> I have boundaries. Craig is like the stereotype that really just like... You know, I'm trying yeah. to figure out how he still has a job at Lucky Aid. There's the episode where he's sleeping with the boss's wife. He still has a job later. I'm like, wait, how does this work? <laughs> That's not a character that we would see ever. I'm like, yeah, we will. There's always that person that you work with that mm -hmm. has no boundaries. And yet, for some reason, we let that slide, that behavior slide. Craig is very complicated. But what I do like about Craig is that they gave him nice moments with like all the siblings. Well, except for Francis, they all have like their own episodes with him that are like kind of nice. You have the one where Malcolm helps Craig build the surround sound system and basically state of the art television home system. He helps him out with that. You have Dewey who spent time with Craig, like just having fun and doing like fun kid stuff. The thing about Craig is like what? He never had any friends growing up. So anyone who shows him any remote sense of kindness, he kind of like latches onto it. And so when he's getting it from kids or like his kid-like hobbies that he has, you know, and uh, and the kids are able to connect with that. It's like kind of nice and it's kind of fun. And it never comes off as creepy either. You know, I don't, or is, is it weird? It can be a little weird, you know, ha having kids be your friends, <laughs> you know, like your co-workers kids are your friends. Like that is definitely 
strange, but all the stuff they pulled on Craig, like they burned his house down on accident. He's had some really bad luck being associated with that family. So, so what are your um, favorite moments of the series that really stand out to you? I think some of the high points that the show did a pretty good job having good finale episodes or at least leaving you with like a little bit of a cliffhanger or something, just like something that like leads into the next season, which was kind of nice. Like season one did this. You had the water park episode, which is a good episode. I always like me a good water park episode. You end that episode and then enter in the beginning of season two with traffic jam. You come to find out, oh, this is a two parter and you get this really great traffic jam episode. I mean, have you ever been in a traffic jam like that? Because I feel like I have. Yes. Point. Yes. I'm coming home from work and I was stuck there. I left work at five o'clock, didn't get home until eight. I was livid. And that's the beauty about this show, right? It's able to like take these very like mundane moments in our lives, these horrible, like boring mm-hmm. moments in our lives and is able to conjure great comedy, great character moments. Um, oh, I've never been seen that moment where Lois was fighting for a parking slot and she did the things I wish I could have done <laughs> slam my car repeatedly at right. the jerk oh my gosh yeah totally totally wild so Reese joins the army that two-parter I think is just awesome even though it's a comedy it is making some form of commentary about what the army expects of their soldiers like they just mm-hmm. basically need them to be robots and, the, and keep in mind they came after 9-11 because you got more access to what soldiers were experiencing and the mentality because I think there was much more access and that somehow trickled into those episodes. Granted, it was a comedic thing, but it was clear commentary on how the soldiers were being treated and the hazing and the, and the corporal punishments. Which, granted, you got that with Francis too, but here was the actual institution, not a private school essentially. Another season finale episode that was I thought was really good was Mrs. Tri-County where Lois competes in a beauty pageant that was entered by Reese Malcolm and Dewey as a joke but she competes and she wins and it was just like this really great moment for her and a really great mm-hmm. moment for the family you know it's a really good uh, episode to finish off that season six and then you of course you have graduation which I'm sure some people have some issues with but it is actually highly rated on IMDB as yeah, like one of the best one. episodes and yeah I like the episode a lot I think it wrapped up everything pretty well aside from whole Lois getting pregnant again I'm not thrilled about that but everything else the final shot of of, uh, Malcolm yeah me talking about these season finales I also have to note the season premieres I talked about Traffic Jam great episode you have the zoo episode which is really funny because it was a really good Malcolm episode Vegas Hal has this dream about winning the jackpot in Las Vegas and so he takes the whole family there he even catches in their family life insurance (laughs) just to make the trip happen because he feels like it's a premonition that he's actually going to be able to win the jackpot you know, Reese comes home from the army you know, and uh, Burning Man. How we oh, talked about God. that before oh, we started God. recording, you know, like yeah, there was all I these know. really great season premiere episodes. So they did a really good job with that. I guess that could even lead us into what's the one episode I would show someone to get them interested. It wouldn't be Burning Man. That's for sure. <laughs> no, it would not. Yeah, with yeah. Rosanna Arquette <laughs> right. taking Malcolm's virginity. Right, right. Plenty of good episodes, you know, but I, I had to think about this. It definitely wouldn't be the pilot because we talked about how there's parts of the pilot where it's like this isn't what the show is going to be 
you know, at least with some a couple of characters. Now, I think it's most important to find an episode where you really start to see what the show wants all their characters to be. And that takes me to an episode we already referenced earlier. Season one, episode 13, Roller Skates. You get an understanding of what direction they want to take Hal. You also get Brian Cranston, who is noted for doing as many of his own stunts as possible throughout the series. Yes, they did cover him with bees. Yes, he did do most of his rollerblading. He actually has never roller skated before. He was practicing when he didn't have to be on set. He would be practicing roller skating around the lot so that he could be prepared for the episode. His commitment to this show is outstanding when you watched it from start to finish like some of the stunts he pulls some of the acting choices he makes it's a masterclass. it's such an underrated performance like we talked about how lois is one of the goat moms and yeah i wouldn't say hal is one of the goat dads he's certainly one of the funnier dads we've had in the 21st century of comedy i would definitely show people season one episode 13 roller skates because you also get the moment where malcolm he swears at hal what does hal do he writes some of the most despicable things he can think of on a notebook and has Malcolm recite it to him. <laughs> and by the end of it, they're both just so like distraught. They can't even make eye contact with each other. No, like, it's no, just no. So well, like, here's the beauty part. Like smoking, he's like, he'll never want to do it again. And he goes, okay, that's enough. I think you get the point. And then Malcolm goes, no, I won't let you down. That's right. I'm yes. going to go through every single word and make you proud. <laughs> and Hal's face, like, oh, crap. <laughs> Totally backfires, right? <laughs> and I'm like, that's how. <laughs> yeah, that is how, right? Is there a viewing order? Do folks need to watch every single episode? Do you have a recommendation of episodes if they want to get a taste of it? Usually I can put a list together, but I didn't this time. This show does a pretty good job, including all the characters in every episode, where it feels like every episode is their episode. So it's hard for me to be like, oh, watch this for Malcolm, watch this for Hal, watch this for Reese. It's kind of like, well, every episode is about all of them in some way. Right. So it's hard for me to make a list out of that. Not saying I couldn't do it. It's just not something I committed to when I was doing my rewatch of the series. What I will say, though, and like I keep repeating myself, if you really like Francis and he's your favorite character, I mean, you can watch seasons one through five and then just watch the series finale. You're good. You got your Francis right. arc. <laughs> there you go. That's what I liked about the show. They give everyone the perfect amount of screen time. Everyone's always involved in the story line no yeah, one seemed shoehorned in and no one seemed like to have all the focus everyone had a purpose so my last question do you want a reboot or a continuation series because according to uh, frankie muniz brian cranston is writing a reunion movie and apparently there's one actor that's a holdout there's so many different stories right like you hear from linwood boomer that he has some writers working on something and if they get an idea then maybe they'll try to run with it and see what they uh -huh. can to get someone to pick up on it. You have what Frankie Muniz just said about Brian Cranston. You have what Brian Cranston says, like, yeah, you know, I'd be interested in coming back. You know, it, it almost feels like no one is on the same page about the real story is, I guess you could say. I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I, I'm totally fine with it never happening. What would the story be? Yeah, exactly. And Like him being president? I don't want that. And let's be truthful here. Brian Cranston just recently announced that he's going to be temporarily retired from acting. Like, he's not going to look at scripts. He's not going to do anything for, like, what, the, six months or something? And then two of the brothers are retired. Yeah, Justin Burfield, who plays Reese, he recently retired from acting because, let's face it, he's not getting any 
roles. I mean, that's probably why he retired. He's a family man now. I'm sure he's doing very well for himself. From what I've seen on Instagram, he looks very happy. So I'm happy that things are going just fine in his life. Frankie Muniz is racing again and is Uh doing pretty okay at that. He was on Steve-O's podcast and cleared up the air about what people heard about him saying that he had many strokes growing up and he doesn't remember being on Malcolm in the Middle, which none of that is Yeah, which is a lie made up by (laughs) Dancing with the Stars reality producers. But you search the internet and that's what you find, which is crazy, right? Think of how many actors have to go through that. So he cleared some of that up where it was like what he was experiencing was just like serious headaches, migraines. He had a lot of concussions growing up too from just being a kid and playing sports or just other shenanigans. Uh, and I'm glad for Frankie that he's turned out okay. Because I'm not going to lie, I was, I was a little worried about him for a minute there. Like he described, he was extremely busy growing up. People might forget, Hollywood did try to make Frankie Muniz like the next big star. They tried with Agent Cody Banks, Big Fat Liar. Oh man, I feel like I'm forgetting another movie. Stuck on you. I mean, Stuck it, was the was the craziest one. He was shared boyfriend <laughs> oh my god forgot, about, forgot that. about that oh i forgot about that but yeah they really tried you know and and in the end um, i think he would have been a very talented voice actor like his delivery his sarcasm his you know he is he has some talents for that and his voice is good enough like it hasn't changed much since being on the show so it's like i think he could have done some good voice acting work but he seems to be happy with what he's doing now and he looks healthy and you let him live his life right he voiced himself and harley quinn (laughs) forgot about that that's right (laughs) i forgot about that too yeah yeah and jane kasmeric i don't mean you don't really see her around anymore but you know she's up there in age too like brian cranston's low-key up there in age as well but you know like it's time like we're we're too many years removed and and people have moved on you know and then that's okay we don't need to have a comeback and also eric per sullivan i don't think it's any secret that he's the one that if they were trying to bring the show back, he's the one who's being like, I'm not coming back. And he went on to live his life and to his credit, has no digital footprint out there. It's pretty hard to find things about Eric Persullivan on the internet. The cast got together a few years ago for a charity event, a Zoom event where it was actually private. This hasn't even leaked on the internet. That's how like private they made this. There is an uh-huh. image of everyone except Eric Persullivan on the Zoom call and they read a script from one of their episodes to raise money for charity. I want to know who he got to read for Dewey? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't remember. I, I read up on it, but I already forgot. Yeah, that to me is like, that's good enough. But that's not to say if they ever bring it back, then I'm not going to watch it. I'll watch it. Of course I will. Yeah. So do you have any recommendations? Yeah. So I do have some recommendations. I wanted to offer comedies that are single camera that don't have, you know, the laugh track and audience. I think that's the best recommendations that I can make for. So I'll start things off with an ABC comedy called The Middle, which is a series that features a character named Frankie Heck, who was played by Patricia Heaton. She's a middle class, middle aged Midwestern woman and her husband, Mike, who reside in a small fictional town of Orson, Indiana, based on the real town of Jasper, Indiana. They are the parents of three children named Axel, Sue and Brick. This show is on for Way longer than I think anyone could have ever anticipated. It was on for nine seasons and 215 episodes, but it's not as like wacky and zany as Malcolm in the Middle, but oh. it still has that like family dynamic that people tend to appreciate and, and enjoy. So that's why I am recommending it. Another one that I uh, am going to recommend is a show that I'm surprised isn't even in the same universe as Malcolm in the Middle because it sure feels like a Malcolm in the Middle type of show. And that's Raising Hope. The show 
is about a 23-year-old who is living in a fictional town called Natesville who impregnates a serial killer during a one-night stand, earning custody of their unexpected daughter, Hope. After the mother sends to death, he relies on his unorthodox but well-intentioned family for support in raising her. It's a totally kooky type of comedy. Oh, yeah. I've seen a couple opposites and clips with the mother of, of Hope. The guard's saying, she's smart because she's on death row. She goes, her last meal is going to be a McRib and a shamrock shake and those two are exclusively never on the menu together (laughs) (laughs) she gave the system yeah yeah i thought that was hilarious right this is like a family where it's like they're more on like the lower middle class side of things and then you're presenting this baby situation that is really funny it's like you would think that single dad stories we've seen them all before but this show has a little spin on it and i appreciate the show doing something like that and having the comedy that it has. Another one is a show that certainly was a beneficiary from Malcolm in the Middle being a success, and that is The Bernie Mac Show. Stars Bernie Mac and his wife, Wanda, who reluctantly step into the role of parents when his sister drops off her three kids en route to rehab. His views on child rearing are hardly politically correct, but Bernie tries his best. Now, this was one I enjoyed watching every week. I thought it was a really funny show. It was fun watching the kids grow in the same way that it was fun watching the kids in Malcolm in the Middle grow. Bernie talking to America was also very funny. That confessional thing that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. to me works better than what I saw in Modern Family. Yeah, Bernie Mac was really funny. Just to see him grow and how to be a parental figure was it was really good. Another one is Everybody Hates Chris. Kind of more related to like the Wonder Years, but definitely reminds me of Malcolm in the Middle as well. So it's a family sitcom pattern on Chris Rock recollection of his teenage years growing up in the 1980s. They wholesome, tight-knit African-American family while living in a drug and gang-infested neighborhood in Brooklyn, also attending a crosstown, white-dominated public high school. I watched plenty of episodes of Everybody Hates Chris, and I really like this show, and that's why I wanted to recommend it. I think Mm -hmm. people, if they like Malcolm in the Middle, would definitely like that show. But Romeo, you have a couple shows, right? First one is, of course, Roseanne that aired on ABC for many years and was revived uh, with the Connors, which um, revolves around Roseanne Connor and her family in the fictional town of Lanford, Illinois, still is generally regarded one of the best realistic portrayals of the working class families in like Midwestern America. I mean, they touched on a lot of issues and had similar storylines too, but same family unit. You had two overworked parents trying to raise three children and a surprise pregnancy. Roseanne is a classic for sure. One day we'll do it. This is like deep yeah, cuts. Mama's family. So it's American sitcom that was starring a Vicky Lawrence as Mama, a.k.a. Thelma Harper, which was a spinoff of a recurring comedy sketch called The Family, featured both on the Carol Burnett Show and Carol Burnett and Company. It revolves around the misadventures of the Harper family and their neighbors. It's basically them just getting together and they have, I would argue, Thelma Harper is somehow related to Lois. Their parenting and their wit are almost the same. Mm -hmm. And you have... Betty White, which also B. Arthur. <laughs> B. Arthur being an episode of a Malcolm in the Middle. So in the season finale of the water park. She passes away. She dies. She sure does. <laughs> and then Dewey goes on a Midwestern adventure. <laughs> he sure does. Street. And with that in mind, 
did you consider thinking about where this show was located? I honestly thought it was the Midwest. Was it supposed to be California? I know they saw it in Los Angeles on site. I think originally the idea was California, but then they decided just like with the last name, we're not going to ever mention you know, where we're locating. This like show. it's a small town in middle America. That's how I pictured it. And But you know, of course, fans being fans, they're investigating. They're trying to figure this out. And I think the consensus is Southern Texas. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Francis gets sent to Alabama for military school. We come mm-hmm. to find out that's like a 500 mile drive or something like that. Harvard is 2,000 miles away from home. Makes it around San Antonio, Texas, as an example. And then how so, far it was to the Dude Ranch? The Dude Ranch, I don't remember off the I, top of my head. I, I could have sworn it was like a day's drive, right? Maybe like an eight hour drive or something like Which that. Which you could not do from California. Exactly. And I think the distance from White Horse, Alaska to their home was also mentioned. I think I might have said it was like a 12-hour bus ride or something like that. Fans feel pretty confident that it's Texas, Southern Texas. I think you're right on the sense that Midwestern town, it certainly does feel like Midwestern town. Although the show hardly ever has any snow, even though we will say it does snow in Texas, but it's like... It's in a rare occurrence at that time. Now a global warming. (laughs) Right, right. It can happen any day now. (laughs) No kidding. And so when you consider that California, there's no snow, but they're going to shoot entirely in California. I'm sure the show had a decent enough budget, but not a good enough budget where they can go to a different location because they need snow for <laughs> for a few episodes. You know, they weren't that kind of show. You know what I mean? They definitely did a good job using what they had. Yeah. Southern Texas feels like that's the one I'm latching on to as well. Southern Texas, even though there's nothing that really says they're in Texas, I'm, I'm still going to take it. I was why I said Midwest. <laughs> well, Lois's accent, right? I mean, Lois has a Northern yeah. American accent. Well, Romeo, I think we did it. I think we talked about Malcolm in the Middle. We did. Stay tuned for our final thoughts and mailbag. Welcome back. We are continuing slowly but surely knocking out these Sunday night Fox comedies that you and I watched growing up. Most of them, you know, I I watched pretty much all of them. I even watched the ones that got canceled, like your Oliver Beans and your Napoleon Dynamites of the world. Oh, geez. (laughs) But Malcolm in the Middle, you know, obviously just stands out. It's very special. And like we talked about in the episode, it just holds a special place in television history, being something of a trend starter, you know, and nobody can take that away from that show and it's also again unique in the way where it's like you have a collection of actors who do little to no acting now and that's pretty rare i really don't see it in the realm of possibility these collection of actors former actors getting together to do malcolm in the middle again but overall yeah i really enjoyed the discussion it was nice to revisit the show again i'm glad i was able to finish it and i'm also glad that you got to watch it again and saying from your perspective how you were not that into it when you were younger but revisiting it as an adult you find it absolutely hilarious. So it's always fun to see that new perspective. It was a unique show for its time. And we discussed this at length about how it sort of changed sitcoms in a way. It's like a time castle because for me, Fox became the staple of comedy television before you had NBC, which was known for its must-see TV Thursday lineup. Still was during the time, but for a while, they sort of went away from comedy and and Fox was going strong and that disappeared as well. Outside of the animated comedies, there was maybe one or two left because I'm looking at all the other networks. Fox did have a lot of comedy and it was his brand of, I mean, it started the network with two comedies, Married with Children and The Simpsons and The Tracy Allman Show. It's the genre that 
that launched a network and now is filled with reality shows. Well, you know, not just reality shows. They have like some of the more tackier reality shows <laughs> when when reality television made its boom. No, I remember the air. And recently, Joe, Joe Millionaire, my big fat fiance or whatever. Yes, yeah, stars yeah. on Mars right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, it was a nice little time capsule for a network's identity. And you don't see shows like Malcolm in the Middle anymore, which is unfortunate. So we made a lot of references to a lot of episodes and we are all over the place about talking about these characters. It was a lot of fun. But there is one thing I wanted to point out about all the things that Hal did on Fridays when he didn't go to work for 15 years. <laughs> he went to a place called Bavaria Land. He rode go-karts. He was at the Disneyland's Haunted Mansion. He went to Ocean Land, which is an obvious parody of SeaWorld, and a bunch of other things. Which it puts in a place, because remember how we were discussing? It was supposed to be like, you didn't know where they were in the U.S. Him going to Disneyland yeah. <laughs> places it in like Southern California. Because there's no way that man would be able to take a flight from the middle of the country. Good at Disneyland catch a flight and make it back on time like he's been to work. So that raises a good point, you know? I mean, granted, we know this is just for the sake of comedy, but right. that does raise a good point about it being more likely it's set in California because of Ocean Land and the Haunted Mansion. I mean, it still doesn't solve the whole, like, Francis is going to school in Alabama situation and how that's a driving distance type of situation. But I guess it's just like The Simpsons, right? Like, you just can't place this place anywhere, and they purposely do that. The city they live in doesn't even have a name. The high school doesn't even have, a like, a real name. It's just North High, <laughs> you right. know? So they, they do everything they can to make this as ambiguous as possible, which I appreciate, but it's still fun to talk about. All right, so now it's time to move on. If you guys ever want to reach us and talk about any of the episodes we talked about in the past, and you can always do that at bingeessentials at gmail.com. It's a great way to keep in touch of what's going on with the show and sharing your questions and comments with us. We would greatly like to hear from you, and we would also talk about on our next Final Thoughts what you wanted to ask us questions about. One thing that we would also really appreciate it if you use Apple Podcasts to rate us five stars and also leave us a review we would greatly appreciate that that would help with the algorithms and get more listeners for the show if you ever want to reach us on social media you can do that by going to binge essentials on facebook just search for us and we'll come up you can also find us on instagram at binge essentials you can find me on instagram at david rocha binge you can find romeo at rmora02 you can find me on twitter at david rocha radio and you can find romeo at rmora1 time to tease next month's episode next month's episode we're doing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film trilogy from the 90s. Oh, baby, I cannot wait to do these movies. So far this year, we haven't done something that was like painstakingly awful. And I know a lot of people have a soft spot for those three films, but a couple of those movies are pretty bad. <laughs> it did spawn a good side scroller, though. Oh, it sure did. Oh, it sure died. Turtles love. of Time. Oh, it's such a good game. And it's re-released, too, and I'm so tempted to buy it, too. Oh, my gosh. I did not know it was re-released. That is so yeah, cool. The, yeah, it's the uh, Cowabunga edition. We'll talk about next. next month on the podcast. Maybe by then, I might have bought it. We started the year off with Mortal Kombat, which had a movie that we both liked and have a lot of admiration for, followed by a sequel that was absolutely terrible. So that one was a lot of fun. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I mean, we're talking about three films here that predate, I think all three of them might even predate the Mortal Kombat films. This was like the height of popularity of the franchise. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about, to revisit this in history. And man, there's so much that spawned from this film trilogy. All right. So we want to thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you guys next month.